You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 73, Plant-Based Pregnancy and Raising Plant-Based Kids with Dietitian Alex Caspero. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. First thing I just sort of want to preface and say that we don't have to have milk, uh, whether that's from a cow or from a non-dairy source. We do have to have nutrients. Hello, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday and welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I feel like so much has happened since the last time I talked to you. First of all, my book is officially out. People are receiving it in their homes. I got my copy from the one that I ordered from Amazon actually before I got my copies from the publisher, which is hilarious. Amazon Prime is amazing. But I know that some people still haven't gotten there from Amazon. So I don't know if there's a certain way they roll them out. I don't know how that works, but you should be getting your copy soon. Also, if you want to get the ebook, it is available right now on Nook at Barnes and Noble. There was a little bit of an Amazon glitch. It has been uploaded to the system, but there's something going on with the website, but it should be up soon. The publisher is working on it. So there is a Kindle version as well. And I am currently recording the audiobook version, but that it will be a few weeks before it's out. Hopefully um, the beginning or middle of December that will be available for those of you that would prefer to listen to me. You already know what I sound like. Hopefully the audiobook will sound good as well. If you haven't already ordered my book and you want to get yourself a copy, go to dryami.com. So that's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash book and you can learn more and it has all the links to ordering it. And like I said, it is available in paperback, ebook, and soon will be an audiobook. And I will let you guys know when that is available for purchase if you would prefer the audiobook. Okay, so that's one thing going on. The other thing is I found out that I passed the lifestyle medicine boards. Yay, I'm so excited. I feel like I've been studying for tests all year this year, and I'm done studying for tests, but I am very proud to announce that I am a certified lifestyle medicine physician now. I feel like I'm part of this amazing movement, and I've met so many great people that are doing such great things. It's just humbling. Really, the dedication and the passion and the love that people have for others that they really want to dedicate their lives to helping others live healthier more joyful lives so I'm grateful I'm happy and yay pass that test and moving on to other things this week I have a treat for you I have Alexandra Caspero Caspero 
I'm sorry. I'm Panamanian. If I see even like a Latin American, it could be Italian. I'm not sure what the origin is, but I just, I, it's hard for me to say it the other way, but I'm just going to say Alexandra Caspero. <laughs> so she is the owner of the online platform, Delish Knowledge, an author of Fresh Italian Cooking for the New Generation. That sounds awesome. So it must be Italian. Anyway, Alex holds a master's degree in exercise physiology from the University of the Pacific and a bachelor's degree in dietetics from James Madison University. Her award-winning blog, Delish Knowledge, focuses on making plant-based eating deliciously simple. She is also the co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors, a community for parents and educators interested in properly implementing plant-based diets for infants and children. Additionally, she is the co-author of the online six-week program, Joyful Eating, Nourish Life, which helps others discover a happier, healthier relationship with food and their body. Alex lives in St. Louis with her husband and two-year-old son, Vander. You can find out more about Plant-Based Juniors at plantbasedjuniors.com. And on Instagram, you can search for plantbasedjuniors. Talking to Alex was such a treat. She is such a sweet lady and has some amazing things to tell everybody and lots of reassurance. So I know that you're just going to love this episode. And as an extra special treat, Alex is going to be giving 20% off of her eBooks that you can find on Plant Based Juniors with a special code. And that's going to be on the blog and on the show notes. So if you want to get a 20% discount for the eBooks that she has available, then look there. I will be publishing that code there. And to find the blog episode for, or the blog for this episode, go to dryami.com forward slash podcast forward slash 73. And then you can find the information there. Subscribe to my podcast. And if you have some time, would you mind giving me a rating and a review on iTunes? I would really appreciate that. Can you believe that we are so, so, so close to 100,000 downloads of Veggie Doctor Radio. So close, probably in the next couple of weeks we're gonna get there. Thank you for being part of that. I can't believe it. It's like, just goes by so fast and here we are, almost at 100,000 downloads. It's a big deal for little podcasters like me. So thank you for coming back and listening every week. I really appreciate you. It's the reason why I do this. Even on times that it seems tough to get to get it in amongst all the other things I do, I think about you and how it's helped so many of you. So thank you for giving me a place to talk and to share all of this valuable information. Okay, guys, without further ado, let's listen to this conversation between me and Alex of Plant-Based Juniors, and I will catch you guys next week. Welcome, Alex, to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for being with me today. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. Well, I first heard about you and Whitney, the co-founders of Plant-Based Juniors, through Instagram. I feel like social media is such a fun place of discovery just to see what everybody else is up to. So it's been really fun 
following y'all's feed and seeing all the pretty pictures and pregnancy <laughs> pictures and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really fun to meet you in virtual person yes, <laughs> and get yes. to talk to you a little bit. I know it's so funny how Instagram works. You feel like you know all these people uh, just because you've been you've been following them and getting a glimpse into their lives. So yep, yeah, we're yeah. all buddies. All right, well, let's launch in, and I think that this is probably very relevant right now, and something that a lot of people have questions about and concerns about. But I really want to know: Is it possible to have a plant-based pregnancy? And what are the most important principles for mommies and mommies to be to keep in mind in order to have a safe and nourished pregnancy? Yeah. So just want to start off by saying it is absolutely safe to have a plant-based pregnancy and whatever plant-based means to you. So whether you're a strict vegan, whether you're predominantly plant-based, whether you're vegetarian inclined, you know, all of those things are proven to be safe. Uh, that is also the official position of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. They say that a fully plant-based diet is not only safe, but potentially optimal for all stages of the life. So yes, yes, yes. Now, that also being said, you know, there are nutrition principles that should be kept in mind for every pregnancy, regardless of whether mom is plant-based or not. So if you came into my office and were an omnivore, I would have nutrition things I'd want to talk to you about to make sure that you're meeting all of those things. And just like if you came into my office and you were plant-based, there are nutrition considerations that I'd want you to keep in mind. Uh, that's actually the reason that Plant-Based Juniors was founded. Uh, a few years ago is, um, you know, I've been eating this way for, for a while, for over a decade. And then I got pregnant with my son and, you know, fear crept in. And it was this, all of a sudden, this moment I was responsible for someone else's life. And, you know, I just started questioning everything. You know, I, I think this is the way to do it, but is it okay? Am I making the best choices for my son? And, you know, Whitney and I have been friends for a while. So we kind of were messaging back and forth and sharing different studies and, uh, you know, it really helped to have someone else uh, who was kind of going over the nutrition literature with me, but it also made me realize that this information possibly isn't as widely available as it should be, and really helping to empower parents, uh, especially moms to be, and knowing that they can they can absolutely have a healthy uh, and safe plant-based pregnancy. So uh, there are definitely a few things that I would sort of just encourage uh, all, all moms at this stage to be, and that is, you know, I do not recommend any kind of restrictive plant-based diet. So sometimes I'll see things like uh, moms wanting to continue macrobiotic diets or raw diets or fruitarian diets, and that just isn't isn't the time for this. You know, when we talk about adult uh, nutrition, there are so many benefits of a plant-based diet, especially being lower in calories, really rich in nutrients. Um, but sometimes for times of growth, we don't want to limit, we don't want to restrict. And so that means really making sure that mom's diet is abundant uh, with all plant foods and not limiting, uh, you know, different things, especially not limiting cooked foods, not limiting perhaps fats. Um, when we do look at research that sometimes will show that there are lower birth weights to vegan and vegetarian moms, it is almost always when mom was restricting the diet, either intentionally uh, for weight gain purposes or uh, not intentionally because they were following a specific, you know, kind of more restrictive diet. So uh, just sort of saying that we, we don't think that is necessary at all for, for pregnancy and we really wanna focus on healthy uh, weight gain and making sure that mom's getting enough calories and nutrients. 
A mm -hmm. um, few other things just sort of I, I want to point out. Uh, I never worry at all about protein intake. I think that's one of those things that only, uh, only omnivores worry about when it comes to plant-based eaters and their protein intake. But that does change during pregnancy. And that's because protein needs do increase so much. Sometimes for the average mom, that can be an increase of about 50%. Uh, for the average mom, that's going to be about 70 grams a day, which, again, not impossible on a plant-based diet, but something to be aware of and really making sure that we're including uh, protein-rich foods at every meal. Uh, so a lot of times that looks like adding in things like beans, like legumes, um, adding in whole grain products, which are another great source of protein, really wanting to make sure that we are getting those, those protein needs, not only for mom, but also for healthy development for baby. Um, we talk about protein, of course, we talk about plant proteins and something that I'm always stressing to my, my moms and moms-to-be is that lysine is an amino acid that tends to be a little bit more limiting in a plant-based diet, but it's very abundant in foods like beans, legumes, and soy. And so really making sure to include a serving at least uh, of those foods every single day. You know, that could be oatmeal with soy milk in the morning, that could be black bean soup for lunch, that could be lentil tacos for dinner, you know, lots of ways that most plant-based eaters are sort of naturally already eating. Just again, making sure that we're including those foods, and just another reason that we do not recommend any kind of raw, fruitarian, low-carb, plant-based diet. Um, iron is, you know, another topic that tends to be brought up for all pregnant women just because iron needs, again, do increase so much. Um, and with plant-based foods, iron absorption tends to be lower than it is in animal foods. But then the nice way to sort of get around all of that is pairing iron-rich foods with vitamin C. So vitamin C along with the plant-based iron food is going to increase absorption by about four to six times, which makes a really big difference. Um, so, you know, we, we already sort of naturally do that. It's sort of, you know, with the different kinds of foods we tend to eat, but just really focusing on that. So that might mean uh, having oatmeal with berries. That might mean having some black bean tacos with some tomato salsa. Just really trying to naturally pair iron-rich foods with vitamin C-rich foods. Uh, the Institute of Medicine has come out and said that Vegetarians and vegans need higher amounts of iron to sort of account for absorption issues with plant-based foods versus animal foods. And, you know, that number is kind of debated depending on what uh, study you look at and what's referenced. But we do know that most vegetarians and vegans are going to benefit from having a little bit higher iron intakes. Um, so, you know, having your prenatal, but also making sure that you're getting enough of those natural, healthy plant-based sources of iron is usually gonna be okay for, for all pregnant women. Um, and then lastly, the topic that also tends to come up when we talk about plant-based pregnancy is DHA. Um, there's been a really big push lately from the, the seafood industries about really encouraging all pregnant women to eat multiple sources of fish per week. And we get a lot of clients and individuals who will say, you know, do I need to be eating fish? I know that DHA is important, but I don't want to eat fish during pregnancy. Um, and we think that DHA is really important, but of course you do not need to eat fish to get that. Um, there is a conversion process that happens between the plant-based uh, omega-3, so ALA, to DHA. Uh, and while that process is fairly inefficient, 
Um, it does it does work beautifully in, in plant-based feeders, except when it comes to pregnancy, breastfeeding, and infancy. Um, and we just know that preformed DHA is what's able to really raise those levels of breast milk and also blood levels to be able to get to baby. Um, and it's because of this sort of special time in the life that we recommend DHA supplementation uh, for any anyone who's choosing not to eat fish. Now, I do kind of want to point out and say too that I actually don't think that eating fish is a great recommendation for any pregnant woman. Uh, fish is really high in mercury or can be high in mercury depending on where you're sourcing it from, depending on what kind of fish you're getting. And you know, mercury is a heavy metal and that can cause serious problems. Uh, fish is also a good source of dioxins. Dioxins are environmental pollutants that accumulate in fat stores. So just like with mercury, sort of the higher that fish is on the food chain, the more dioxin, the more mercury they can have in their tissues. And those are things that, you know, might be okay at some levels for adults, but when it comes to that small uh, growing baby, we really want to minimize environmental toxins as much as possible. So we recommend a DHA supplementation instead of fish for all pregnant women. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think that we're seeing more and more literature and recommendations around DHA, EPA also mm -hmm. in some populations, um, but it's still not, there, there's no like overarching recommendations yeah. as far as like, this is how much you need, yes. this is how many milligrams. So it's kind of like, I'm also recommending it now more for my pediatric patients. And I think one thing to point out that a lot of people don't know, because automatically when we think of omega-3s, we think of fish oil, because that's uh -huh. kind of for, uh -huh. for a long time, what physicians and cardiologists were recommending is fish oil, fish oil, fish oil. But fish are actually getting their DHA and EPA from algae. So they're yes. eating these microalgae and that's where it's coming from. Then it's getting concentrated into their fat stores and the big fish that eat the little fish that eat the algae, that's how they mm -hmm. get it. So it just gets mm -hmm. concentrated down the line. It's a super interesting thing just to think about how these things, especially things like B12 and, you know, our DHA, where it's really coming from, it's not really coming from the animals. The animals aren't making it themselves, right? You know, it is coming from other, um, sources, either the algae or the, um, bacteria that are being mm -hmm. consumed by the animals and then getting stored in their muscles or their fat. And the other thing too, to remember, is we think about fish and we think about quote fatty fish, as far as being this source of DHA, but they also have other kinds of fat in them too, which yes. saturated fat is one of the fats that um, all animals have in their fat stores. So you are getting a higher percentage of these omega-3 fatty acids from eating fish, but you're also getting all the other kinds of fats. You're also getting the animal protein, which um, as we read other sources like the longevity diet, we want to keep animal protein low in our diet, even if you are an omnivore for longevity purposes as well. So there's lots of reasons to consider getting your DHA EPA from a supplement that is vegan. So sourced mm -hmm. directly from the algae instead of getting it from the fish, but it's very yes, good. And, and I should just say that the, the recommendation that we do have for supplementation is that microalgae, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like saying, 
cow's milk contains calcium. Well, yes, but that cow is not producing the calcium. It's because of the plant foods that they eat. And, you know, food is not just nutrients, right? We have to look at fish recommendations as yes, they contain DHA. Yes, they contain EPA, but you're right. They also contain all these other things that we want to minimize. And, you know, when it comes to those things, we just think that supplementation, uh, a vegan DHA supplementation is going to be a much safer option for, for all pregnant women. Awesome. All right. Well, I have a question, uh, more questions about pregnancy, because as I was writing my book, I did have some reviewers read it. And one of the, she's actually a plant-based cardiologist that read it was pregnant at the time. Mm. And she told me, you know, you might want to put something in here about what to do if you're experiencing nausea or you just are averse to vegetables. And she was actually feeling ashamed. She was like, here I am, this vegan doctor, and I cannot bring myself to eat vegetables. And it's so funny because I've only had one pregnancy and it was 15 years ago and I had zero versions, zero cravings. I mean, like it was just so easy. I was not plant-based at the time. I've only been plant-based for a little over eight years. So I didn't experience that. So it didn't even like cross my mind to write about it in my book. But I'd like to know what your recommendation is, especially for women that are already plant-based. They pride themselves on eating these gigantic salads. They get to their pregnancy, they're just like, Bleh, or they just feel full really easy. What, what do you recommend for those women? Oh yeah, I've been there. When I was pregnant with my son, I you know, had all these dreams about having this beautiful pregnancy. I was gonna drink green juices and smoothies all the time and you know, just nourish my child. And I couldn't even look at a salad for probably the first 20 weeks. I mean, it just, wow. veggies just made me, they made me, I mean, it was, I had very, very terrible nausea and aversion. Um, and you know, what a wake up call and what a shame filled, you know, sort of moment to go through because here I am this dietitian, I'm supposed to, you know, know what to do, quote unquote. And the, there was such a disconnect between what I thought I should be eating and what actually sounded good. So the first thing I will sort of just sort of reassure all, all parents is that this is really common. You know, there, this happens. If you talk to most women, uh, they will have some type of aversion, you know, whatever that kind of spectrum looks like really varies with the pregnancy, but uh, most women have, have some sort of aversion. Unfortunately, it usually is towards healthy foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we recommend that prenatal, just to make sure that you are getting those nutrients, especially in that first trimester when we want to make sure that we're getting enough iron. We want to make sure we're getting enough folate. Um, the other thing is seeing where you can stomach them. So for me, I couldn't handle raw vegetables. That was just not going to work work at all. Uh, but I could handle smoothies. I could handle soups if they were finely, finely chopped or pureed. Uh, that was one way I could just get a little bit of nourishment in. Um, and, you know, that was sort of a, a thing for me where I, I wanted to try to see what I could get down just because, again, I knew the, the power of nutrition. But I was also really gentle with myself. Uh, and knowing that, you know, it's, it's okay. There are reasons that our body are craving uh, things like car- really, you know, really energy rich carbohydrate foods and adverse uh, to a lot of plant foods. That's definitely a, an evolutionary thing that we came to, to tab to make sure that we're avoiding 
you know, any sort of potentially harmful poisonous uh, or toxic plants and also making sure that we're getting enough calories and nutrients for our growing child. So, you know, kind of finding that grace where you can and then allowing yourself to enjoy them where possible. So you might not be able to stomach broccoli, but can you have some kiwi? You know, can you can you still offer and enjoy some some more nutrient rich plant foods, even if it's not sort of the abundance uh, of, of plant foods that you would normally have before you got pregnant? Yeah, so definitely giving yourself some grace during that time, and also just relaxing a little bit, knowing yeah. that you're just doing the best you can, and it's a moving target. So just like you said you know, you didn't want it for 20 weeks, but then after that, it might've been a little easier for you. Yes. Some women, it might be short or some women, it might be their whole pregnancy, but just knowing that it's an evolving process, do the best you can get in your plants where you can, where they sound good, where they mm -hmm. look good and don't, don't stress about it so much. Well, and I, it. and I think that health conscious, uh, women who tend to be, you know, more into plant-based eating, the, the stress that we have that we place on ourselves for, you know, quote unquote, being perfect or wanting to, to get in everything, you know, that sometimes can be more harmful than helpful. And mm -hmm. so I think that really being, uh, being kind to yourself and allowing yourself to, you know, to choose what food sounds good in the moment, I think that's just really, really just good, happy advice. I love it. That's great. Okay. Well, let's move on now. You have your baby. You've been feeding yes. your baby, whether um, you choose to breastfeed or not. Some women either want to or need to supplement, or some women may go straight to formula. So can you tell me a little bit about what y'all's recommendations are for feeding babies formula? Yeah, I have, I have quite a few thoughts on this. Um, I just sort of want to say that, you know, formula isn't poison. I think, again, there is this, sometimes we see, especially again, in that health plant-based community, we've seen it a lot on Facebook and on Instagram, this shaming around uh, our feeding choices when it comes to our infants. And I think that that's really devastating. You know, I think for that mom who's making that choice, whether it's intentional or not, um, you know, it can be hard enough to figure out what choice is best for you and your family without having to deal with all of these different outside judgments. So. If you are choosing uh, to, to feed your baby formula, or if that's something that you know you you need to do for weight gain or supplementation, know that that is that is okay and that is the right choice. Um, you know, I I always talk to my moms who have any guilt around it that love is not measured in ounces, and you are an amazing mother no matter what nourishment you choose to provide. Um, I had retained placenta with my son and had a lot of feeding issues, didn't figure it out, unfortunately, until weeks uh, after he was born, had to have major surgery, and that just had really devastating effects on my milk supply. And, you know, I can tell you, once again, I was this perfect mother before I got pregnant, because I thought that I was only going to breastfeed, and I was going to do it for as long as I possibly could. And that just wasn't a reality for me. And, you know, I, I had to supplement and I had a lot of guilt and a lot of shame uh, around that until I finally just let it go and realized I was doing the best I could with what I got. And also my son was healthy and he was thriving. And, you know, I didn't need to carry this, this guilt uh, around offering formula because again, it isn't poison. So um, that being said, I, I do want to reiterate though, that before 12 months, only formula and or breast milk is recommended. I've seen in some different Facebook feeding groups that they'll recommend soy 
or other milks during that time, and that is not recommended at all. Um, sadly, when we do see headlines when it comes to, to vegan kids who are malnourished, more often than not, it's because they were not given proper supplements, uh, proper formula or breast milk. They were given things like rice milk, almond milk, soy milk, and those are just not okay uh, when it comes to giving the nutrients that, that that young infant needs. So, you know, again, I know that there tends to be a lot of this is better than that conversations, but when it comes to formula, uh, we, we need to make sure that we're giving infant formula that is designed for that and not supplementing with anything else. Um, I really wasn't aware of supplement choices before I did become pregnant, I mean, before I had these issues. And so there was sort of this eye-opening awareness of what was actually on the market. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, not every baby likes every formula. So sometimes you might have to try a few different ones, and that's okay too. Um, for ethical vegans, this might also mean being open to the idea of a cow's milk-based formula because unfortunately the soy options that are out there are limiting and they may not be what's going to be best for your baby. So, you know, we come very much from the place that fed is best. And yes, we want to consider all of those reasons that we did choose to go plant-based, but that, that might not be the, the absolute right decision in this time. And it's a, it's a fleeting time in our baby's life. And so, you know, making sure that we're getting the option that's going to be best for them is, is I think, you know, sort of our, my overarching principle. Um, it's also a tricky subject because I would never want to shame anyone uh, when it comes to what formula they choose. There is a wide variety of formula available and also a wide variety of price points available. And so I know for a lot of moms, you know, formula, especially if feeding is an unintended uh, decision, all of a sudden it's, whoa, you know, all this money that we have to account for every month. And I would never want anyone to feel like they weren't doing the best they could because of a price issue. So, you know, I, I tend to be very, um, very open when it comes to whatever formula recommendation someone wants, because Again, you know, price, access, uh, there's, there's a lot of privilege in getting to choose what you think is going to be best. Uh, that being said, I do wish there were some ingredients that were minimized. Um, formula is very safe, but we do see things like corn syrup, sugar, brown rice syrup. I tend to be a little bit more wary on brown rice syrup just because of the arsenic concerns. Even though baby formula is highly tested, um, you know, it's, we, we know that, that brown rice tends to just have naturally higher levels of this, of this heavy metal um, compared to other ingredients. So I, I tend to be a little bit more wary of that, um, which is unfortunate because brown rice syrup tends to be one of the more common sweeteners used in organic formulas and in soy formulas. Um, the ones that I tend to recommend are Earth's Best Organic. Um, they have both a cow's milk formula, which I do like just because it doesn't contain any added sweeteners. Um, the only carbohydrate is lactose, so that's the naturally occurring uh, milk sugar. They do have a soy formula, uh, but it does contain corn syrup. Um, I ended up exporting a formula from Europe uh, just because I found that I liked the, the ingredient profile a little bit better than the things I could find in the state. But again, you know, lots of conversations around access and affordability. So I think there definitely are some great ones you can get at your local grocery store here. Um, Baby's Only Organic 
uh, is another great one. It does contain added sweeteners, but they do have a, a few different varieties of soy options. So, you know, lots, lots of things uh, to, to consider, but I guess I was to sort of say that you're doing the best you can. Uh, there's no shame in giving formula and choosing what's going to be right for you and your baby is going to be the best choice. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great advice. And I love, I love the fed is best. And, you know, as a pediatrician, I do encounter a lot of mommies that whenever we get to a point where I'm like, you know, we're just, we need to supplement. There's tears oh. and there's just so much sadness yes. and it just feels really strong for that mom because they really wanted to be able to exclusively breastfeed, but it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I was some. I was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was in my pediatrician's office and my son had lost, you know, more than 10% of his body weight that first week. And I mean, I was hyperventilating, which is, it's, mm. it's not, it's, I should say it's silly to look back on, but I remember that those feelings, I remember being there and just saying like, no, this isn't what I planned. This isn't what I wanted. And, you know, really having to come face to face with the reality that it's also going to be okay. You know, yes. the most important thing is feeding my child and really, I think, sort of having to, to gut check some of the, the judgments uh, that I had, you know, mm -hmm. around formula and around what that meant. And I think that in, you know, in the end, uh, it's definitely made me more compassionate to all other choices that happen in, in parenting where you think you're going to do something and then this happens and oh wait that's not the decision that's best for you mm -hmm. and that's okay and i think it's sort of kind of that that grace conversation you were having earlier too where you know really really knowing that there are plenty of wonderful safe options out there and feeding your child nourishing your child helping them gain weight helping them grow is the best thing that we can do as parents exactly and most babies are going to do fine with just the standard formula choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are some babies that I see may develop some sensitivities, but you can just take that step by step with your yes. pediatrician and your healthcare provider because the majority of babies will do fine. So I think just taking a deep breath, if you can breastfeed, I always tell moms, any breast milk is better mm -hmm. than no breast milk. Even if you can just do a little, if you're willing to continue to do a little, um, then that's great. So I love that. That's wonderful. So let's move on to the next step, which has become a bit of a controversy recently. Oh, yes. The release of the consensus, <laughs> the new beverage consensus statement that came out from the AAP and a bunch of other organizations that said that children should not be drinking plant-based milks. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about whenever we get to the point where we're babies are over one and we're weaning off formula. Moms may, may continue to breastfeed for a while, but say they've decided to wean yeah. off the breast milk. What should toddlers be drinking? This is probably one of the most common questions I get on social media and through my email, through my website is, okay, I have an 11 month old and soon we're going to be weaning. What am I going to give this kid? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, the first thing I just sort of want to preface and say that we don't have to have milk, uh, whether that's from a cow or from a non-dairy source. We do have to have nutrients, right? So typically we think about what does milk provide? It provides fat. You know, breast milk is very high in fat. Even cow's milk doesn't, um, doesn't scale up to how much fat is naturally occurring in breast milk. 
infants, young toddlers, again, need high fat diets. So that's one of the, the benefits we think about when it comes to, to milk options. Um, it also contains a good source of protein. Um, so that's another nutrient we look at. And then of course we think about, you know, cow's milk, especially as things like calcium, vitamin A, and vitamin D. Those are not nutrients that are specific to a cow's milk. So, or, or, or a non-dairy milk. So, you know, you can also get those nutrients through food. I will say it tends to be a little bit harder, uh, especially when it comes to calcium, if you're not supplementing or if you're not providing fortified foods, if baby is picky, if baby has, you know, like all 12 month olds, baby doesn't have a really robust appetite and is full after just a few bites. And we're, you know, worried about trying to get in 700 milligrams of calcium that can sometimes feel overwhelming and therefore, you know, the, the cow's milk or the non-dairy uh, milk option is a really great idea to get those nutrients in. So one, you don't have to have it, but you do have to have those foods in your diet. And I would encourage all parents who are considering not offering any kind of non-dairy milk that's fortified just to really ensure that they're offering those, those nutrients, especially calcium, uh, vitamin D will probably have to be getting in a supplement. Um, and so just, just making sure those needs are met. That being said, from there, uh, our recommendations are fortified milk. So again, we're talking about items that are including calcium and vitamin D at a minimum. Sometimes fortified milks will also include things like B12, um, DHA. Those are, are lesser of a concern for us uh, because we, we think that a separate B12 supplement is just a better idea anyways, just to make sure to cover all the basics on how much milk uh, that child is actually drinking during the day. Um, and then soy and pea protein milks are probably our top choices. And again, when we look about comparing what is that milk offering, I do wanna see higher levels of fat. I do wanna see higher levels of protein and calories. Um, and a lot of non-dairy milks don't meet that option. You know, almond milk, I think, is a, is a great option for adults, especially for adults who are interested in weight management. But because of those really low calorie, protein, and fat amounts, they just wouldn't be a really nutrient-rich option for kids. Uh, same things with rice milk. You know, just because a milk is said it's made with, you know, hemp, when you turn over and look at the nutrition facts, it's very little actual hemp or nuts that are actually getting into that milk. Um, you know, if, if the milk is only providing 30 calories a cup, that's just not a lot of nutrition. And those little stomachs uh, can fill up really easily on non-dairy milks. And so we want to make sure that we're offering sort of the biggest nutrition bang for our buck. So uh, our recommendation is a fortified soy or a fortified pea. Uh, both of those we like to be unsweetened. We just don't see there's any need to offer in added sweeteners um, when it comes to milk. The, the consensus on the, the beverage statement did include soy and like this tiny asterisk and then down at the bottom, but unfortunately a lot of the, a lot of the media picked up this idea that all plant-based milks are inappropriate and that's not true. Some are less appropriate than others, but there's definitely a way uh, to offer in non-dairy non beverages that are just as healthy uh, as anything else is going to be on the market. Yeah. And I think the consensus statement mm -hmm. asterisk was particular for people who had like dairy allergies. Yes. They were really pushing the milk, which well, is not surprising because that's just what we're taught. I mean, that's uh -huh. what we're taught is best. And that's what we're taught is necessary as pediatricians. What, well, and that's what we're taught. 
you know, when I look at my curriculum, when it comes to infant feeding and toddler feeding, it is very heavy uh, cow's milk. There's also a lot of, you know, the, the dairy industry is also very prevalent when it comes to the Nutrition Academy as far as where we're getting our research from and also who is funding different recommendations. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all. There's definitely a reason to have industry funding. That's how industries make money and sometimes how we, we do get research. Um, but, you know, I'm also tend to be a little bit cautious, a little bit hesitant when I see such pro dairy recommendations and really going back and saying, okay, is there anything that cow's milk is offering that other plant milks like pea or like soy can't? And there's not. So I think mm -hmm. that whether you're choosing not to give your child dairy or because you have lactose intolerance, which is a very common thing, mm -hmm. uh, or your child perhaps has a dairy allergy or doesn't tolerate dairy well, there's, there's no reason to think that you are giving your child anything less by offering soy or offering a pea. Yeah. And just like you were saying before, the point is to get nutrients, right? Mm -hmm. And as you have like baby cows that are weaned off of their mom's milk, they're eating grass, they're getting their nutrients from there. I also have some patients in my practice that are very vigorous eaters. So yeah. they're eating a lot of food uh -huh. and they're probably fine. The mom's like, oh, they don't really like milk. They don't really like all this, you know, plant stuff. They don't want to drink those things. I'm like, fine, water. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the consensus statement, the most important thing I think for Americans to remember is that the beverage that we should all be drinking the majority of the time is water. We yes. really should be drinking water, water, water. Let's de-emphasize anything else with calories, including juice, sports uh -huh, drinks, uh -huh. any of those energy drinks, any of those things. And really the majority of the time we should be drinking water. Hopefully well, that's what came across to a lot of people. But I think as you know, our community, we we're like, oh no, what are they saying? No plant milks. And I think it just got really confusing to some people. Yes, yes. Well, and I and I just also sort of want to point out too that the recommendation for three glasses of milk per day, that comes from the dairy industry. Mm -hmm. There is no nutritional need for getting three glasses of cow's milk or even non-dairy milk. You know, calcium also inhibits iron absorption. Mm -hmm. And we do see higher levels of anemia in children who are drinking high amounts of cow's milk. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, really, really helping to educate parents on balancing where or if uh, these non-dairy milks come into play in the diet. And I think that you made, you know, the, the great point. It really does depend on the child. You know, if you have a picky child or if you have a child who doesn't have a, a large appetite, then, you know, these, these non-dairy milks can provide some additional nutrition. My son came out just hungry. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the amount of food he puts away sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, you ate more than I did at that meal. And, you know, we, we've never had a problem with getting those nutrients in, but not all kids are like that. And I'm currently pregnant right now. Who knows how this baby is going to come? And I might have to adjust, you know, what I supplement with based on, on his or her needs. So it, it really is individual as well. I hope that you post about the differences because I think you'll find that the child is different as uh -huh. they are yes. usually. And I think that that really stresses parents out, especially uh -huh. when your first one is this vigorous, robust eater. And then you get another one who's like, eh, 
yeah I'm good I think I'm yes. gonna go play I, I'm just gonna have like one lick of this thing and I'm gonna go play <laughs> you know it's funny um that they can be so different but it's really fun too to see yeah. The, yeah, even yeah, yeah. just the genetic they they're born with these genetic tendencies you know uh -huh. I mean it's just fascinating to me okay so so we got that out of the way I'm glad we talked about the beverages and the plant milks and all that kind of stuff. Let's move on and talk about supplementation. So many mm -hmm. parents, especially parents that might be considering raising their child plant-based or have already been doing that, get concerned about nutrient and vitamin deficiencies. Yeah. So what are your recommendations when it comes to supplementing? Yeah, I, I do not think that supplementing is a four-letter word. Um, you know, whether or not you are omnivore, whether or not you are plant-based, supplements may or may not have a, a place. Um, that being said, I I don't B12 is sort of my one non-negotiable for all vegetarian, vegan, even kids who, you know, consider themselves to be omnivores but maybe don't like meat. You know, that's something that we don't mm -hmm. talk about enough is that mm -hmm. a lot of kids naturally just aren't aren't meat eaters, you know, it's, it's perhaps too rich of a taste. It sometimes has that kind of like metallic-y uh, metal taste to some kids. They just don't like it. And so, you know, we, we should consider B12 perhaps for, for them as well. Um, I mentioned earlier, we talked about the, the milk conversation that some milks are beginning to fortify more with B12. And, you know, we fortified foods can be okay when it comes to getting B12, but my kind of stance is why risk it? B12 supplementation is easy to get. It's a water-soluble nutrient. Um, you know, you, you'd have to have insane high levels of it for there to be any sort of conversation around toxicity. Um, and so I just think that it's sort of more of a safer than sorry kind of bet. You know, again, depending on the eater. Uh, if, you're, if your child is really great about consuming a lot of fortified foods with B12 and you know that they can get them in every single day, then that might be an option for you. If your kid is sort of someone who's more, sometimes they drink this, sometimes they eat this, then I just don't think there's any reason why we couldn't just give them a B12 supplement, um, you know, for, for that. Uh, and, and many parents might find that it's just easier to give their kids a multivitamin uh, that also contains B12 and, and that's fine as well. You know, the DHA conversation, something that is also comes up a lot, especially in early infancy and whether or not, you know, that's needed. And, you know, I think we kind of touched on this, that some studies show yes, some studies show maybe there's no benefit. I've kind of taken this stance that in, in this sort of early toddler years, I am going to supplement with DHA. Uh, and then I'll probably stop that uh, once my son gets a little bit older, just because the research isn't as strong uh, when it comes to older kids as it is for sort of that, that toddler year. And, you know, maybe vitamin D, again, depending on whether or not we're getting uh, vitamin D from fortified foods, like a non-dairy milk. Um, I don't always trust sunlight conversion, depending on how much sunscreen we're using. And I just don't like that to be sort of the, the only way we're considering vitamin D in the diet. Um, and you know, iron, I don't typically supplement, but I think that if there's any issues around iron deficiency, uh, or if anything's come back where there is some anemia, then we shouldn't be hesitant to supplement at all with iron. Uh, we would never tell someone to go home and eat more meat to get iron. We would just consider them to do, go take a supplement. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's all great advice. And I think as far as the vitamin D conversation, it also depends where you live mm-hmm. too, because there's some places that even if moms are like, I want to go as natural as possible and I don't want to take any supplements, that it's almost impossible to get enough from the sunlight. Like yes. here where I live in Yakima, between November 1st and April 1st, you would have to be outside arms and legs exposed for about two hours in the middle of the day, which in December, I don't think anybody's going to do that here. (laughs) It gets cold. So you would have, you know, CPS call on you in a moment. If you have your baby (laughs) out there, you know, naked for, for two hours during the summer, I mean, during the winter months, but yeah, you know, nobody's going to want to do it. No. And, and, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's such this stigma around, supplementation. Um, you know, I'm in quite a few different natural, more parenting groups and, you know, even the idea of vitamin D, which is recommended, uh, for, for breastfeeding babies, you know, even that is like, oh, why would you supplement? Well, because we don't live the way that we used to in the sense of having children outside. We do have sunscreen where we live. I mean, there's just a lot of reasons I think that supplementation is necessary. Sometimes even with B12, you know, it's not that the vegan diet is deficient in it naturally, just the way that we process our foods and how we eat our foods. And so it's not anything that should be, I think, looked at as sort of like as a negative when it comes to this diet. It's just something that we, we know and a supplement is great. Thankfully, they're pretty affordable and you know, whatever your diet looks like, you can, you can have those um, supplements. Yeah. And just to take that conversation a step further, because this is not something that we talk about or think about every day, but we can survive with deficiencies. I mean, uh-huh. we can make it. I mean, your baby could get rickets and not die from it. And that's what it used to be like. Yeah. I mean, we used to walk around deficient. I mean, even if you go to some developing countries now, you may see people with iodine deficiency with yes. these gigantic goiters. They, yes. they are not dead. Uh-huh. You know, they're not dead. They're living. So yes, you can survive. Even in the past, we had all kinds of deficiencies. It wasn't like we live in this like perfectly harmonious environment. Right. Never. It's never been like that. It's, we just need to live long enough to have babies and pass on our genes. That uh-huh. is like good. It's just evolution. That's what it's about. It's just good enough to make uh-huh. it to that next stage. So what I tell people is, yeah, maybe there's things that worked for us in the past, but it wasn't like perfect, right? We were just making it long enough to have babies. But now we have more information so that we can live yes. lives where we thrive and we feel good and we're not walking around with huge goiters. You know, that's not and usually children because we have iodized salt. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing I want to bring to people's attention because, and I've been trying to put this into people's consciousness a little bit more. Humans are not the only things or beings that are being supplemented. Mm-hmm. Farm animals are also being supplemented. In fact, I was reading some articles because I got really curious about this. Farmers are dealing with animals having B12 deficiency because they're not Mm -hmm. eating the food that they used to eat. So they actually, in order for your meat to have B12 in it, that farmer has to give that animal a vitamin, okay? So you can either take it yourself or you can get it through the animal which had it through a vitamin. (laughs) But it's like, it's not like we, it's just think about it differently. So I understand when people want to be all natural and stuff like that, but natural does not necessarily mean that you're thriving. It could mean that you're just surviving. 
a natural can also mean that you die prematurely. <laughs> so, uh-huh, anyway, uh-huh. so let's kind of think about it in a, in a different way. Yes. Yes. And you know, we, we know better on certain things. So why not, why not take that information and, and take a supplement? Yeah. I think the stigma around supplements is something that is just needs to go away because you know, they're, yeah, we need our kids to thrive. And sometimes that means a supplement and that is okay. And it's becoming more and more quote unquote natural. Even as you talk about the farm animals, you know, they're, they're not naturally, you know, creating these vitamins themselves. They're either eating them or they're being supplemented. So take a supplement. It's okay. Yeah. And we have enough research to show that a lot of supplements, the ones that we recommend like the B12 and the D are not harmful. So that's Mm -hmm. important. Now there are some that can be harmful. So it is important to talk to your medical provider about what supplements you're taking. So it is very important. Um, But the majority of these that we, the common ones, the multivitamins, if you take them as prescribed, they are not harmful. So, okay. So next question, let's move on to treats. Oh yeah. Is it okay to give children treats such as sweets and processed foods? And how can parents learn to balance these types of foods with more health promoting whole foods? Yeah, um, I think so. You know, my, my background is actually in eating disorders. Uh, so before I started this company, I was working in an eating disorder clinic in California. And I just feel like I'm, I'm very aware sometimes of what happens with restriction. And when restriction maybe starts out well-intentioned and, you know, isn't, it, isn't the way we, we want it to be. And I think that we can all think about times we rebelled against our parents uh, when things are restricted against. And I think this is very true with food and, and research shows this as well. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to give our kids sweets and processed foods all the time. Um, but I think it does mean that we have to have a realistic expectation on how these foods should fit into the diet um, because we can't ignore them. You know, processed foods, sweets are a way of life. Even if you are raising your child to be, you know, quote unquote, the healthiest eater, they're still going to get very excited about a cupcake. Or when they go to a friend's house and their friends are eating, you know, junk food and processed foods, they're going to want to have some too. And I think it's our job as parents to, to really kind of model how we balance these foods ourselves. You know, I don't eat dessert every day, but when I do, I want to show my, my kids that it's delicious and that I'm not having any guilt or shame in this experience. You know, this isn't a food I'm eating all the time, but I'm also not limiting it um, you know, when it, when I, when I want it, if I'm craving that dessert, uh, that I want to make sure that I'm allowing myself that pleasure and really kind of modeling to our kids about, yes, I, I eat a balanced diet, but also treats are delicious and, and, you know, kind of how that works into my diet. And hopefully that kind of modeling behavior will show them how to include it as well. I really don't, um, recommend kind of putting foods on really high pedestals. So, you know, making these big deals around desserts or treat foods and making it sort of this like really insane experience for this kid where we're only having it this, this one time. And you know, I just think sometimes that can backfire and it can make kids a think that other foods maybe aren't as great because we're not having these kind of rituals around broccoli. Um, but also that it shows them that it's sort of this unnatural treat thing instead of something that can be easily balanced into a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, I didn't know about your background before. So that's really interesting to know that. And I, I agree, especially if you have kids, once they get out of the house and start yeah. going to school, preschool, I mean, like they're in the world, you know, they're out in the world where there are these kinds of foods everywhere. So I think allowing them to explore that uh -huh. from an internal perspective, from internal cues, because that ultimately is what they're going to use when they leave the house and they're yes. out on their own in order to reinforce habits for a lifetime. And I find that with my kids too, just like any family, you know, when it's vacation or we get busy with stuff and we may fall off of our usual routine, even my kids are like, oh, mommy, we've had too much of this yeah. or that, you know, too much eating out. And we're all like, okay, we need to make some salads. You know, it's like you just, your body, when you listen to those internal cues, your body tells you when you've had enough of that. And when it's time to move on, if it would have been just like, oh, this is bad. We need to stop uh -huh. eating this way. It's uh -huh. harming us. It's bad for us. That's a whole different way to approach it and think about it rather than using your inner drive to guide you and lead well, you. And, and those sort of really negative terms too also frame the experience, I think, in, in some shame or guilt. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we tend to see uh, the kids perhaps that maybe are hiding foods or are sneaking foods uh, because they have those, you know, this is bad, I shouldn't be eating these experiences. And, and that's not what we want. And, you know, I think as when it comes to internal regulation, that's what we want for our kids, right? I think that we would all agree that we want our children to be uh, healthy eaters, but also really empowered eaters. And I think that when we allow our kids to make choices around treats and other kinds of foods, it also shows that we trust them and mm -hmm. we trust their bodies and that we're teaching them to trust their bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I, I think that sometimes parents think that, oh, I let them eat this once, that's all they're gonna wanna eat. And that's rarely true. You know, if, if we instead show how we balance that and we model it, you know, yeah, when I go on vacation, I love enjoying foods. Maybe perhaps I don't eat at home, but I'm excited to get home and return back to sort of those, those healthier foods. And that's not anything that has to do with, you know, um, weight management or restriction. It's just more of what makes me feel good. And we want to teach our kids those same principles, you know, yeah, how does that make us feel? What kind of foods are we interested in trying next? I think those are all sort of really great lessons uh, when it comes to, to being empowered eaters as they get older. Mm, beautiful. I love it. Okay. So let's talk about the opposite situation. Should moms be stressed out that their kids aren't eating enough vegetables? Yeah. So we follow or really promote uh, this idea called the division of responsibility of feeding. Uh, it was created by feeding expert Ellen Sattler. And the idea is really that uh, our job as parents is to offer food and the child's job is really to decide uh, if they want to eat it. Um, I think the first thing, if I was talking to a mom who's stressed about this, I would ask them, how, how are we introducing vegetables in the home currently? Is it a stressful situation? Is there a lot of pressure on that child? No one uh, wants to sit down to a meal where they're being pushed to eat something or pressured to eat something or given if then statements, right? If you have this, then you can do that. You can't have this unless you eat that. Um, those are all really negative feeding experiences. And I think that a lot of times we as parents think that we're doing really good because we're promoting uh, or push pushing 
these vegetables, but it can actually backfire. You know, and again, we, we don't want to teach kids that this food is a punishment and so you have to eat it in order to get dessert. Uh, we really kind of want to present foods as like, hey, this is what the family is eating. This is what mom's eating. This is what dad, whoever is eating. This is what siblings are eating. We're offering these foods to you. And I also trust you to decide whether or not you want to eat them. And it's my job to offer those foods. So if I'm stressed about not eating enough vegetables, the first thing I would say is, well, how are those vegetables being introduced? Is it a negative experience? And also, are you offering them in different ways? You know, is there, is there a way that your child loves it? It is okay if your child only wants to eat broccoli. You know, my son couldn't care less about any kind of squash, any kind of carrot or, you know, potato, but he loves broccoli and he loves cauliflower. And he gets those foods probably five times a week because I know he enjoys them and he really likes them. I think sometimes there's this emphasis on, oh, my kid doesn't like this one particular food. Great. Who cares? You know, adults don't like all these different kinds of foods, but finding foods that your child likes and then also continuing to offer new ones, right? So I will give broccoli and cauliflower almost every day uh, to my son, but then I will also sneak in or offer in, I should say, uh, different kinds of squashes or potatoes or peppers, things that I know that he usually doesn't like and kind of picks out, but I still want to show him that these are normal foods for our home and I'm still going to offer them but I'm also not going to make a big deal if you don't want to eat them or even try them. That's okay. You know, I, I trust you in your own eating experiences. Oh yeah, that's great. And, and that's what I recommend too. And it can take a while, but eventually he may pick up that piece of potato mm -hmm. or may at least try it again, may decide, oh, I still don't like it. And a few months later, maybe he will. So it is worth continuing to expose because when it comes to developing a taste for food and preference for food, it all comes from exposure and repetition yes. and consistency, but continuing to offer foods that, you know, your child does like is important too, because you don't want to offer them this plate of all these foods that you know that they've rejected before. And then they're just like, ah, you know, overwhelmed by that. Yes. And, and then mealtime is going to become this fight and no one wants that. You know, the rule of thumb that I typically say is offer one, maybe two foods that you know your child is going to love and then maybe balance that with one new food. And, you know, it's okay if they don't try uh, that, that new food for the first few dozen times. But again, we're exposing them, but we're also saying, hey, I know you like this other food. And if that's all you want to fill up on tonight, that's also okay. Yes. Feeding kids should hopefully be a really positive experience and not something that stresses us out. Kids, kids, you know, I think feel us more than they do listen to the words that we say. And so if we're constantly stressed or frazzled or nervous at mealtime, it just doesn't make for a very positive eating experience. Yeah. Or if we have the mom look, even the mom look is enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all know it. So, okay. That's great. Alex, this has been so good. And I know that we could just yes, talk and you. talk and talk. There's so many helpful tips, but can you tell us a little bit more about some resources and services and products that you have for families? I know that after they listen to this episode, they're going mm -hmm. to want even more information. So what do you have and where can they find it? Yeah, so we are on Instagram at Plant Based Juniors. We are also on our website, plantbasedjuniors.com. Uh, we launched our blog earlier this year, so 
we're slowly kind of doing deeper dives into topics that we, we touch on Instagram, but just want to go into to much further research on. Uh, we've also created two products. So, you know, I mentioned before that uh, plant-based juniors was originally started as this sort of idea of, hey, we wanted this information, we couldn't find it, and we thought other parents might benefit from it. Uh, and so because of that, we've kind of created the, the guides that we were looking for. Uh, so the first one is called the Predominantly Plant-Based Pregnancy Guide, uh, which is sort of a, a much more in-depth uh, look into nutrients uh, that when it comes to pregnancy, but also a lot of recipes. So we're kind of showing you that if you, if you need to get more iron or calcium or zinc or whatever nutrient it is, here are some really yummy kind of uh, pregnancy-focused recipes. Uh, to use them in. And then I did baby led weaning with my son. And if anyone is familiar with baby led weaning, most of the resources out there talk about the importance of meat and they're so meat heavy. And that's because of the iron uh, recommendation for sort of that six month period. And I, you know, again, was like, well, I want to do this, but I don't want to offer my child meat. What do I do? And so we, we researched and came up with a, a book called First Bites, uh, which is all about introducing solids, but mostly in a baby-led weaning way. And if anyone's like, what is baby-led weaning? It's really the idea of just giving kids solids uh, more from the beginning. So you can supplement with purees if you want. You can do a mixed approach. You can do an all uh, kind of first solid foods approach, but it's really sort of um, helping to teach kids to self-regulate uh, from the very beginning. And, and there definitely are some considerations in that because baby is likely going to be eating different foods and um, they would be uh, sort of in more of a traditional puree approach, but also they won't necessarily be eating as much. And so really making sure the foods that are offered are very nutrient rich. Mm -hmm. So our first bites guide kind of goes into all of that and walks you through kind of step-by-step. I love it. That sounds great. And I'll make sure that I put all of your links in the mm -hmm. show notes and let's finish off with a final question. Okay. What do you wish more parents knew? That's a great one. Um, you know, I, I wish I would tell more parents that you are doing a great job. I think there is so much pressure, you know, especially I think when it comes to, to those of us who perhaps are more health minded uh, we tend to get really bogged down in what perfect looks like and shielding our kids from different things, especially when that comes to the, the diet. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of shame and, and judgment internally and externally when it comes to, to feeding and raising kids. And so I think that, you know, kind of taking a more relaxed approach and saying, you're doing a great job. I always look back to, to my childhood and I had the most wonderful parents, but, you know, I ate a ton of junk food. And, you know, it really had no limits in a sense of, of what kind of foods were given to me. I, I like vegetables, but they were never a, a focus of the plate. And, you know, it all turned out to be okay. And so I think that if we take sort of more of that bird's eye view of what are we doing most often and not stressing about individual experiences, you know, it is okay if your kids go to a birthday party and eat nothing but cupcakes for dinner. Yes, it might be a tough evening for everyone, but it's okay. You know, in the in the scheme of life, it's not going to make any difference. Um, also, the same you know thing comes to whether they don't want to eat a certain vegetable or go through different food jags when it comes to sort of learning their own independence around eating. All normal, all okay, all developmentally appropriate, and really kind of taking more of that 
okay, what can I do in my job? Again, kind of going back to that division of responsibility. My job is to model, my job is to offer, and really helping to kind of trust kids to develop their own feeding preferences. I love it. That's beautiful. And that's what I say too. What is your overall pattern? Mm -hmm. Don't worry about this meal, that meal, the day to day worry about, or focus more, not even worry, try not to worry too much, but focus more on what are you doing the majority of the time? And even if you get a little derailed or off path, how can you guide yourself gently back on path to what feels right for you and your family? So Well, and, you know, one sort of last quickly thing I'll say too is a lot of this can be a journey. Mm -hmm. You know, not every parent comes into, you know, maybe, maybe the first time they've actually thought about healthy eating was when their kids started eating and they wanted to make sure they're getting enough. Or, you know, maybe you're kind of new to plant-based eating. All of it is okay. You know, we don't have to go into everything being great and, and quote unquote perfect right away. Like it can, it can be a journey and it especially could be a journey for the whole family. Mm -hmm. So if that means that you're not offering any vegetables right now, and your goal is just to offer vegetables twice a week, great. You know, I think that all those sort of small uh, incremental things can really add up to those overall healthy eating goals. I love it. Alex, this has been such a great conversation. I just loved meeting you. I love everything you have to say. And I really hope the listeners go and check out all the resources, especially if you're considering a pregnancy or are pregnant and want to get more plant foods in there or want to have a plant-based pregnancy. I think this is such a great resource. So thank you, Alex, again for being with me today. And I hope that you have a plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day.